0: In Alhamdalilla, Nahmedu, who and Esther, who and Esther Hero, when I would him in Shururi and Fusina, was a year at the Armalina, many had he la Fala falla mulla, Women you the Allah, washedo and la ilaha illa who wached a hula shari kala, washedo and no Mohammedan Abedu or Sulu. Am bad. So in the previous sessions. We had been looking at the statement of Imam al-Tahawi, wala shay'a mithluhu, that there is nothing like unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And within the explanation of that, Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi, Rahimahullah ta'ala, had mentioned the ayah, laisa mithlihi shay', wa huwa al-basir, that there is nothing like unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. The next point that Al-Imam Al-Tahawi makes here is the statement, "Wala shay'a yujizuhu," That there is nothing that can overwhelm Allah. There is nothing that Allah is incapable of that there is nothing that can overcome, overwhelm Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatsoever. (laughs) And that is because of the perfection of the ability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing is able to overcome Him. Nothing is able to uh, uh, weaken Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatsoever. Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all capable upon everything, has the ability, the capability, the power over everything, the control over everything. And there are many ayat in the Qur'an that indicate this same point. That indeed Allah is عَلَى kulli shay'in قَدِيرٍ. That Allah is the all able upon everything. He is the one who is the all able upon everything. Many ayat, wa Allahu عَلَى kulli shay'in مُقْتَدِرًا. Same meaning that indeed Allah is the All-Able upon every single thing. In another ayah, "Wama كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُعْجِزَهُ مِنْ شَيْءٍ That there is nothing that can overwhelm Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَلَا فِي الْأَرْضَ Neither in the heavens nor in the earth. إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَلِيمًا قَدِيرًا That indeed He is the all-knowledgeable, the all-able, the one in control of all of the affairs, with the power over all of the affairs. Similarly, in Ayatul Kursi In Ayatul Kursi where it mentions وَسِعَ كُرْسِيُّهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلَا يَؤُدُوهُ حِفْظُهُمَا وَهُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْعَظِيمُ That his kursi, it extends the heavens and the earth. And this is a topic which is going to be discussed in more detail later on, regarding the throne of Allah, regarding the kursi, The kursi and the arsh, two different things, the throne of Allah and the footstool of Allah. Here it mentions the footstool, it encompasses the heavens and the earth. And we know that there is a hadith that gives us the proportions of these creations. It mentions in a narration that all of the heavens and the earth, All of the heavens and the earth, their size compared to the footstool, compared to the throne of Allah, it's given in an example. In that example, it mentions that the size of the footstool, the kursi, compared to the throne of Allah, is like a ring thrown into a vast desert. A ring thrown into a vast desert. So you imagine the size of the desert. And then one ring is thrown into that desert. What is the size of that one ring? In comparison to this huge desert that it's in, it is a tiny object in a huge area. That is the example of the size of the kursi, the footstool, compared to the throne of Allah. It is as though the throne of Allah is the comparison of the desert, and the footstool is simply in comparison, nothing more than a small ring in comparison to that vast desert. Then the narration goes on to say, that all of this creation of ours, all of this creation that we live in, and vast creation beyond that, the heavens and all the earths and all of this creation, compared to the footstool, not compared to the throne, compared to the footstool of Allah, then all of this creation becomes like the size of a ring In a vast desert, which is the footstool. That is the comparison of all of this creation to the footstool of Allah. That we are like a ring, the size of the ring in a vast desert. That vast desert being the footstool. But then, when you put that relative to the throne of Allah, that vast desert... The, the, the footstool compared to the throne of Allah now becomes relatively speaking only like a ring compared to a huge desert again. So then if you were to think about the size and the comparison of all of this creation to the throne of Allah, then where would that comparison be? If all of this heavens and the earth is only but a ring, in a vast desert that is the footstool of Allah. But then the footstool of Allah to the throne of Allah, now the footstool of Allah is only like a ring, compared to the footstool that is a vast desert. You see the proportions how they go, and where this creation is compared to the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why it is mentioned that the throne of Allah is the ceiling above all of this creation, the ceiling of all of this creation. But the point being here, the point we are discussing, is that nothing can overwhelm Allah, nothing can overcome Allah. Allah is capable and powerful, and has ability over all things, even with the creation being the size that it is, the vastness that it has within it. Allah tells you, وَسِعَ That the footstool of Allah, it encompasses the heavens and the earth, but despite that, لَا يَأُودُهُ وَلَا يَأُودُهُ حِفْظُهُمَا That it does not burden Allah whatsoever. The preservation of all of that creation. All of that creation in its vastness does not put any burden upon Allah in Allah being the all capable and preserving all of that creation. It does not take any difficulty or any burden upon Allah whatsoever. What is that to highlight to you? Allah tells you here, His footstool, the size of it is such that it encompasses all of the heavens and the earth. And when they tell you about the space, these scientists, when they talk about space and the size of space, and they have all of these theories as to how big space is, but then you imagine all of this creation, we are just a speck compared to the footstool of Allah. Yet, despite the greatness of the creation therefore, despite the greatness of this creation, Allah tells you it does not burden Him to look after the creation. It does not burden Him to preserve that creation. And this is to highlight to you the power and the strength of, and the all ability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because, and this is a principle to understand, here in ayatul kursi, لا يؤده و لا يؤده حفظهما It does not burden Allah to look after that creation, the heavens, the earth, all of the creation, it does not burden Allah to look after all of that and to preserve all of that. Here, a negation is being phrased. The phrase here is in a negation type of phrase. It does not burden Allah to preserve all of that creation. When a negation is given regarding Allah, that it does not burden Allah to do X, Y, and Z, Or something is not about Allah, X, Y, and Z. When you give a negation about something regarding Allah, there is a purpose behind it. And this is a principle in Aqeedah. The purpose behind it is to highlight to you the perfection of the opposite. When mentioning a negation in regards to Aqeedah, the names and attributes of Allah, the purpose of mentioning the negation is to highlight the perfection of the opposite. What that means is when you say to somebody that I know you can look after this issue, I'm trusting you, you go take care of it, I know you're not silly, you can take care of this. When you put that phrase in, I know you're not silly, you can look after this, you can deal with it. You've now put a negation into your phrase regarding this person. And that negation you put in there is actually as a means of praise for the person. You're saying to this person, you look after that issue tomorrow, you can deal with it, I know you're not silly, you can deal with it all, you can take care of it, I'll leave it all with you. That phrase you have put in there, you're not silly, you can deal with it, you're responsible enough, you're not silly, it's a negation. And that negation in there is as a means of praise for the individual. You're negating the fact that he's silly. You're not silly. Therefore, you're affirming that he is somebody intelligent and smart. By negating him being silly, you are affirming the perfect... Well, not the perfection for creation, but you're affirming the opposite. That he is not silly, therefore he is somebody intelligent and smart. So that negation is a praise you are indicating for the person. I know you can do it. You're not silly. You're responsible. You can deal with it yourself. I'll leave it with you. That negation in there is praising the person. That you're indicating you're smart, you're intelligent. You can do it. So negations can indicate to you the opposite in praiseworthiness. When it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the principle in aqidah is, whenever you negate something from Allah, it is for the purpose of highlighting the perfection of the opposite. So you negate the fact that any burden can overcome Allah in looking after the creation. Therefore highlighting the perfection in the opposite That Allah is absolutely the all-powerful upon creation Nothing can burden Him He is absolutely the all-powerful, the mighty and majestic upon creation That is the point you're making By saying that Allah is not burdened by looking after them By phrasing it in that negative phrase He is not burdened What you are trying to show Him that Is the perfection of the opposite, that He is the Almighty, the powerful, the one all capable, and that's why He is not burdened. That is the purpose of negations when it comes to names and attributes of Allah, to indicate and highlight the opposite. To make that even clearer, talking about the human examples... If you go back to that example, now you're telling somebody, you look after that issue tomorrow, you deal with it, you're not silly, I know you can take care of it. That's okay. If you were to say that to somebody, the person would understand that you're praising them, he thinks you're smart, and you can deal with it, you can take the responsibility, he trusts you, that's okay. But if I now come to that person and say, look, I'm trusting you, take care of tomorrow, you can deal with it, I know you can take care of it, I know you're capable, you're responsible, you're not silly... You're not stupid, you're not a donkey, you're not this, you're not not a monkey, you're not uh, a foolish, you're not an idiot. I stand there for an hour making all of these negations. But all of those negations, are they not praise? You're not a donkey. I know you can do it. You're not a donkey. You're not an idiot. You're not a fool. You're not stupid. You're not silly. You're not as thick as a log. You can do it. Now if I phrased it like that, what's he going to start thinking? All of a sudden, I'm not really praising him, now I'm making a mockery. Now he's going to say, okay, okay, I, I understand, I get it, I'll take care of it, that's enough. No need to go any further. When you go into negations like that, they actually become, even though you may say the intent is the opposite, you're not a donkey, you're not an idiot, you're not silly, therefore I'm praising you. But when you start doing it like that, it becomes a mockery, becomes criticism, because now the negation is being seen for the negation in of itself. You're not a donkey. You're not an idiot. You're not a fool. Now the person starts focusing on the negations as opposed to the opposite which is praise. You're not a donkey, therefore you're somebody smart and intelligent. But when you start going into negations like that, you don't see the opposite anymore, your focus starts going on those phrases you're telling the person. You're not a donkey, you're not an idiot, you're not a fool. Now the person, all he's focusing on is all these negations coming on him. He's not thinking about the fact that, okay, overall, it's actually a praise that he's saying, I'm not this and I'm not that and I'm not this. It is actually technically a praise. But when it goes like that, your focus isn't on any opposites your focus now becomes on the negatives true absolutely that would occur that's how your focus would become because now it is though it is as though you are focusing on these negations for the sake of the negations you're taking a, 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 you're making a mockery of him you're not a donkey you're not a fool you're not an idiot you're not as thick as a log you can do it tomorrow Now the person is going to think this is not good. He is making a mockery of me. Because the focus goes in on the negations. What's the point of saying all of that? It shows that with negations, you're not supposed to go in and delve and go deep into negations. True? Because if you do, then everybody just starts focusing on the negations and you forget about the actual point, which is the opposite of it. But when you do it in a minor way, you do it in a generalized way, then the person understands praise. If it's in a generalized way, I say, you can deal with it tomorrow. I'm going to leave all the documents with you. I'll leave all the details with you. I know you're not silly. You, You can handle it. You can deal it. It's all on you tomorrow. You can do it. That one phrase I put in the middle of that comments, the one phrase in the middle, you're not silly. A negation... Negation, but in the context of all of that, what I've just said, the person will go away thinking, "He trusts me. He knows I got. I can do it. I can handle it." That one negation, in the generalized way, in the context, he understands the whole thing as praise, even with that negation in there, because he understands the opposite of the negation. You're not silly. He's understood from that one comment. He knows I'm smart. But if I was to do it the other way, you're not a donkey. You're not. But for an hour. Now at the end of it. He's going to think that was a mockery only. So you can see, with negations, you leave it generalized, and in the generalized way, that highlights the praise and the opposite. But if you delve in, and you start going deep into negations, then it becomes negations for the sake of negations. That's why, when it comes to the aqidah, the names and attributes of Allah... With negations, it is the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah. And you see it in the Quran and the Sunnah. Negations regarding Allah are always left general. Because their purpose is to highlight the perfection of the opposite. And you do not go into tafsil, into details of negations. And that's why here, this negation is left in a generalized way. La Yauduhu حفظهما That's it. Allah is not overburdened in uh, uh, looking after and preserving the creation, and then it moves on. It doesn't go into any details and specifics, and this burden and that burden. doesn't do that. Because like we've just seen, when you start going into details of negation it becomes negation for the sake of negation, and you forget about the opposite. So in atida, you will notice this in the Qur'an and the sunnah, negations regarding Allah are left generalized. You'll see that in the Qur'an. Whereas affirmations, affirmations are always detailed, because that's not going to be negative. With affirmations, if I stand there and say, you can deal with it tomorrow, i leave it with you. You're smart, you're intelligent, you're this, you're that. Person, that's all praise. With affirmation you go into detail, it's not a problem. But with negation you start going into detail, it becomes a mockery. So the principle in aqeedah is, when mentioning negations from Allah, negating something from Allah, it is done in a generalized way. Because the purpose of it is, to bring the attention to the... (coughs) Opposite of the negation, which will highlight to you the perfection of Allah. <laughs> he is not overburdened with the, the preservation of the heavens and the earth. Therefore, this brings to your attention that Allah is the Almighty, the, the all-capable, absolute power over creation. Nothing overburdens him. All of those positives and the affirmations, they are highlighted with this general negation that is mentioned. So that is a key point to understand regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We mentioned that in particular, because some of the people of innovation did not do that. Some of the people of innovation did not understand this issue of generalizing the negations as Allah has done in the Quran, as it has been done in the sunnah. And they began going into details of negation. They began going into details of negation. So far, everybody's following. I've been repeating everything about a hundred times. You've got to be following. So, it's a key point. It's a very key point, and it's worth the hundred repetitions. Because this is one of the key reasons all of that 100 repeats now is going to bring you to a key thing. One of the key reasons why the people of innovation went astray in Aqidah, is because they began going into details on negations. They began going into details on negations. They began to say, like here Ibn Al Izzi mentions, Ibn Al Izzi mentions, they began to say, okay, Allah is not a body. And Allah is not an image. And Allah is not flesh. And Allah is not blood. And Allah is not uh, an entity. And Allah is not. uh, I mean, here there's a whole, there are two paragraphs worth. All types of things they began to say Allah is not this, Allah is not that, Allah is not this, Allah is not that. All huge lists of negations. When they built up these huge lists of negations, Allah is not flesh, Allah is not body, Allah is not this, Allah is not that. And yes, we know generally all of those. Generally, yes, Allah is not those things. But when you start listing out and delving into negations, what happens? Now your focus becomes on negations. To such an extent that it becomes difficult for them to now affirm the names and attributes you're supposed to affirm. Allah tells you He created Adam with His own hand. Allah created Adam with His own hands. But because the people of innovation have been sat there, spending so much time on, but Allah is not this, and He is not that, and He is not this, and He is not that, not this, not that, not this, not that. Now this comes along that Allah created Adam with His own hands. They say, but wait, Allah isn't this and this and this and this and this and this and this? If we affirm Allah has hands... Then all of these millions of negations We've been talking about It's going to be a problem Allah is not supposed to be this He's not supposed to be that He's not supposed to be this They've gone into so much negation That it's left almost no possibility For them to be able to affirm the attributes anymore They say okay Allah is not flesh Allah is not meat Allah is not this not that So hand how can we affirm hand Hand is in their mind Flesh and meat and these things And they've been negating all of that Which is true But they've delved into and gone into such detail on those negations. Now their minds are on those negations. Allah cannot be this, cannot be this, cannot be that, cannot be this, cannot be that. Okay, a million negations. Now when some affirmations come along, those affirmations are drowned by all of these negations, their minds have become fixated upon, and they can no longer affirm the attributes. Do you see the problem they fell into? So Ibn Abil Izz, he highlights that here. Why does he highlight it here? Because the statement al-Imam al-Tahawi made here was, لَا شَيْءَ shay- uh, shay- uh, shay- uh. Why not, وَلَا شَيْءٌ shay- Normally in Arabic, the words are marfu' by default in those cases. Why not, شَيْءٌ shay- Why does it say, وَلَا شَيْءَ shay- uh. Anybody? From those who've been studying Arabic, anybody? What's the difference between saying, وَلَا شَيْءٌ يُعْجِزُهُ وَلَا شَيْءًا As Al imam al-Tahawi says in Arabic here. وَلَا شَيْءًا يُعْجِزُهُ Why is it mansub? This is a rule in the Arabic language. It indicates a nafi al-mutlaq. The in when you have this is the lam of nafi and this type of negation when you have a mansub word after it indicates absolute negation absolute that wala shay'a yu'jizuhu that absolutely nothing can overburden allah or overcome or overwhelm allah at all absolutely nothing and you see that example in la ilaha Allah. And you don't say La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah. That there is absolutely no deity deserving of worship in truth except Allah. Absolutely no deity. This indicates absolute negation. There is absolutely nothing that can overcome, overwhelm, weaken Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatsoever. In The context of everything we've just been talking about Negations, affirmations And not delving into the negations They are left general There's another example in ayatul kursi itself What's another example in ayatul kursi Of a generalized negation That is there as a generalized negation So that you understand from it The perfection of the opposite In ayatul kursi Another negation mentioned about Allah Hmm? لَا تَأْخُذُهُ وَلَا نَوْم That Allah is not overcome by sleep or slumber Left at that Doesn't go into what type of sleep and what type of slumber And this sleep happening and that slumber happening And this can't happen and that can't happen Any of that? Nothing All it just says is Allah is not overcome by sleep or slumber That's it Now we can understand from that the perfection of Allah in the opposite. So Allah is not overcome by sleep or slumber. This indicates the perfection of the power of Allah. Because for us, that's a weakness. That we spend a third of our lives. You live for 60 years, 20 years of your life you slept. You slept, 20 years of your life you slept. Every day, a third of your day is in sleep. You lived for 60 years, 20 years out of your 60 years... You were unconscious asleep. Only 40 years you were out and about and doing things. That is a weakness for humans. A weakness that we have to sleep. A weakness that we are overcome by lethargy. We're overcome by fatigue. We're overcome by tiredness. That is a weakness. We see for Allah, لا تأخذه wa ولا نوم. No sleep or slumber overcomes him. Generalized negation is given to us. We understand from that the perfection of Allah now. Allah, the Almighty, no ever sleep, nothing, no sleep, no slumber. None of those types of weaknesses that we need and are necessitated for us. We cannot have energy or ability without sleep and slumber. But we see the greatness and the might and the majesty and the perfection of Allah from this general negation that Allah is never overcome by sleep or slumber. And that's it, you leave it at that. Doesn't go into... How this sleep and that sleep and this happens and that happens and all types of negations until your mind becomes focused on that and you don't even realize what it's trying to tell you about the might and the majesty and the perfection of Allah that He is the all capable, the almighty never overcome by anything never overcome by fatigue or lethargy or sleep or slumber or anything. So that is what the point is and that is what Al-Imam Al-Tahawi is highlighting here (coughs) la شئاء يعجزه nothing uh, can overwhelm, can overcome, can have any impact in the weakening. <coughs> nothing can do that to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala whatsoever, indicating to you the perfection of Allah's uh, the life, the Allah's life, and Allah's ability and power and uh, uh, might and majesty. So that is the principle to remember here. When negating things, they are left general. Affirmations go into some of the details. As for the people of innovation, they sat there making lists and lists and lists of all of the things that Allah cannot be. Instead of stopping to think for a moment that Allah is telling us and affirming to us all of the things that He is, they sat there In negation, Allah cannot be this and cannot be that, and cannot be this and cannot be that. Negation, negation, negation. That's what they did. So when affirmations of attributes came along, they got drowned by all of these negations their minds were in. They said, okay, but Allah created Adam with his hands. Can't be hands though. We already said in our list, Allah cannot be flesh and this and that. Because in their minds, a hand is just straight away resembling creation. We've said before, it does not resemble that. And you do not have this type of logic that flesh, Allah cannot be flesh, Allah cannot be this, Allah cannot be that. So Allah affirms hands, Allah can't have hands then because hands are flesh. Who told you hands are flesh? Our hands are flesh. But we're not comparing Allah to us, we're not comparing Allah to our hands. So there is no comparison. And here, Al Imam al-Tahawi is highlighting the might and the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he highlights the principle regarding negations being generalized, and not going into detail, 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 because even in the example of creation, we saw if you start going into details of negation upon a person, it becomes a mockery, and you forget about the actual technical praise you were supposed to be giving the person via those negations. So that is the point uh, mentioned there. Then... Al-Imam Al-Tahawi goes on to say, وَلَا ilaha غَيْرُهُ And there is no other deity worthy of worship besides him. That is the meaning. When you say, لَا ilaha إِلَّا The shahada. What's the translation in English? Everybody remember, the old guys will remember especially Maybe they do it these days as well They used to have those silver and green Shiny kind of paper And it says La ilaha illallah on it Shiny kind of paper it used to be Stickers Not glitter, but that other kind of shiny paper And it says La ilaha illallah on it in green and silver And then at the bottom There is no God but Allah That's the one that used to be everywhere. Those shiny stickers. La ilaha illallah. There is no God but Allah. That definition, that translation is absolute nonsense. That translation is absolutely false. That is not the translation of la ilaha illallah. Here al-imam al-tahawi mentions it. Wa la ilaha The meaning of this is, the meaning of la ilaha illallah is, not that there is no God but Allah. Because if you were to go to the Hindus or the Sikhs or the other Buddhists and whatever, they will tell you there are a thousand gods that they worship. They say, what are you talking about? Come into the room or show you a hundred right here. So they have gods, inverted commas. In the Quran, does Allah not mention about their gods and multiple gods? So they have gods. But their gods that they have, are they gods in reality? They are false gods. They are not gods in reality. But they are, according to them, gods. So, for La ilaha illallah, the definition isn't to say there is no God but Allah. They'll come along and they'll say, I've got a million gods here. What you say is, there is no God if you want to say God. There is no God worthy of worship in truth except Allah. There is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. And that is the definition. La معبود بحق إلا الله There is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. You tell them as a Muslim, that's what La ilaha illallah means. Then if he says to you, but look in my room here, I've got a hundred gods. You say, okay, you got them. No problem. In La ilaha illallah, I didn't negate all of these hundred gods you got in your room. What I'm telling you is, none of them are gods in reality, and none of them have any right for worship. You got them there, you want to call them gods, that's your business. I'm telling you, La ilaha illallah, there is no deity worthy of worship in truth, except Allah. These So called deities of yours You call them deities You call them gods They are not deserving of worship though They are not deserving of worship They are not gods in truth That way It makes it clear And it doesn't leave any room for manoeuvre On top of that When you say there is no god but Allah And you say that's the meaning of La ilaha illallah it's wrong again because that is simply saying that there is only one God and there are no other gods, meaning there's only one God who created everything and provides for everything and gave life and death to everything. You're affirming the rububiyah of Allah. There's no God but Allah. Meaning there's nobody else who created the heavens and the earth except Allah. There's nobody else who gave life and death except Allah. There's nobody else who controls all this universe except Allah. La ilaha illallah. There's no God except Allah. But that isn't the purpose of the religion like we said. The people of the past, when they used to fight against their prophets and messengers, was it because of that? Because they used to argue with their messengers that they've got other gods who created the heavens and the earth? Never that they've got other gods who can give life and death. That wasn't the issue. All of the time the issue was that they didn't want to single out their worship to one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the key aspect of the religion of Islam is the aspect of that ikhlas, the worship, the tawheed, tawhid al-ibadah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in the La ilaha illallah, that is what is reflected. The fact that as a Muslim, you will worship only Allah alone. Your dua, your slaughtering, your vowing, whatever it may be, every act of worship is devoted purely to Allah. That's what you need to reflect in the meaning of La ilaha illallah. And that's why it means there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. What's another proof that this is the definition of La Ilaha Illallah? Another proof is the fact that when the Prophet ﷺ said to the Mushrikun, he said to them, "Qulu La Ilaha Illallah Tuflihu He said to them, to the mushrikeen, "Say La Ilaha Illallah," meaning bear testimony to the Shahada and you will be successful. قُولُوا لا إله إلا الله تفلحوا. Say, لا ilaha إِلَّا اللَّهِ by testification to the shahada, and you will be successful. What did they reply? They said, in amazement, Their reply and their response was, Is He making all of our gods into one? That is something strange. They understood straight away from La ilaha illallah what the Prophet wanted from them. They understood that La ilaha illallah means the worship of one Lord Allah alone. They understood that straight away from La ilaha illallah. Because they replied and said, what? You want to make all of our gods into just Allah, just Allah we worship, that's it? We're only going to worship Allah? You want us to abandon all of these other gods? They knew that's the meaning of it. So which English translation did they know in those days? That La ilaha illallah means there is nobody deserving of worship, no deity worthy of worship except Allah. They understood that meaning straight away. And that's why they said, you want us to worship only Allah? Abandon all of these other gods? That's no, no, that can't happen. <coughs> Therefore, La ilaha illallah, the meaning of it is, the definition of it is, as Al Imam Al Tahawi mentions here, La ilaha غيره, that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. Another proof, if you need more proofs, another proof. In the Quran Allah tells us that the prophets when they used to go to their people and give da'wah to their people they used to say to them and this is a clear proof they used to say to them Ya qawmi Allah, O my people worship Allah and then Ma lakum min ilahin ghayrah You do not have any other deity to worship Ilah in the Arabic language again if you understand that, it is the equivalent or the meaning of Al Ma'lu, Al Ma'bud, the one worshipped. Therefore the Prophets were telling all of their people, Worship Allah alone. You do not have any other deity deserving of your worship who can be worshipped. La ilaha illallah. Not telling them there is only one God, He is the creator, the provider, the sustainer. They would all say to you. Absolutely okay. If the definition in English was, there is no God but Allah, that only Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the one who gives life and death, there's no God but Allah. If you told that to the mushrikun at the time of the Prophet they would say, that's fine. Okay. There is no God but Allah. They never claimed that their deities created the heavens and the earth. They never claimed that their deities give life and death. So if you told them there's no God, meaning there's nobody else who does all of that except Allah, they would say, you're right, absolutely, yes, yes. Only Allah does all of that. That wasn't their problem, was it? Their problem wasn't to affirm that. Their problem was, they didn't want to affirm all of their worship to Allah alone. That's the key point. So here Al-Imam Al-Tahawi says, Wala ilaha That there is no deity worthy of worship in truth besides Allah. لَا مَعْبُودَ بِحَقِّ إِلَّا اللَّهِ There is no deity worthy of worship and truth except Allah. Allah mentions in the Quran, وإلهكم إله وَاحِدٌ And your Lord is one Lord. And ilah in Arabic means al-ma'luh, meaning the one to be worshipped. The one to be worshipped for you is only one. إلهكم, The one you worship is only one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And then after it it mentions La ilaha illa huwa Ar-Rahman ar That there is no deity worthy of worship and truth except he The Ar-Rahman Ar-Raheem This is the meaning of La ilaha ghayruh That there is no other deity Worthy of worship and truth except him It's important to take note of that because many people out there, upon a lack of understanding, always just think, La ilaha illallah, there's no God but Allah. That is not correct. It is not just to say there is no God but Allah. You need to clarify the real meaning of the Shahada, which is that you need to worship Allah alone. Any other God anybody claims is false. Therefore, remember this definition and understanding. But there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. Then after that, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi moves on and he says, بِلَانْتِهَاءِ We'll just briefly mention this now and we'll go into detail on it next week on this point. Here he said that Allah is قَدِيمٌ bilabtida Daimun Bilantiha قَدِيمٌ bilabtida That Allah is literally in English you might say old without a beginning. Meaning that Allah has no beginning, He always was. And Daimun uh, bilantiha Forever without an ending. And that generally is referring to the ayah in the Quran, the same meaning... He is the first and the last. That Allah always was and always will be. No beginning, no end. Allah always was and always will be. No beginning and no end. That is the point Al-Imam Al-Tahawi is going to discuss here. Uh, Ibn abil Iz rather is going to explain here. Uh, That's what we'll begin with inshaAllah from next week then. Uh, at the same time at 7 p.m., we'll conclude upon that point for today. Any questions or anything on that so far? When, oh. when speaking to a, a non Muslim, they use the word huwa. They say Allah subhanahu is referred to as a he. And is it right to say that Allah subhanahu is not a he and not a she? Is it right to say that? In the Quran, in the Sunnah, all it refers to is Huwa, He Beyond that, we don't have anything else And so it's not really a point of discussion That you should go into and delve into When giving da'wah to Kuffar Particularly, you have to remember Giving da'wah to non-Muslims You have to dictate The course of the discussion You can never allow the discussion to begin upon their dictation of questions and where it goes. If that occurs, then you're never going to be able to give clarification and understanding, because they're just going to have random things. Okay, what about this then? And you Muslims, what about this then? If you do it that way, you're never going to come to a conclusion. You could be stood with them for the whole day. You have to dictate how you're going to give the da'wah to them. They bring about a question to you, whatever question it is. You know as a non-Muslim in front of you there, You need to explain to him certain issues, regardless of what question he brings. He needs to go away from that meeting with you, understanding what the basis of Islam is in terms of Tawheed. What a Muslim is and what the purpose of being Muslim is. What the purpose of Allah creating us here is. What Tawheed is. You need to clarify those points to this individual. You need to direct the conversation. So that is the core of what he goes away with. Whatever issues he's got, uh, okay, what about this and what, or he and she and these things, even if you explain all that to him, if you spend an hour explaining all of these things to him, he goes away and you haven't spent a proper, detailed understanding time in clarifying the reality of La ilaha illallah to him, then he's gone away not having understood the actual reality of Islam. All those other things are subsidiary, they are side points, secondary points. And they always have lots of issues. Okay, you Muslims, you talk about stoning and they, they behead people and what all types of things that they bring up. You cannot stand there and try and delve into all of those issues like that. You can't let that person go away. He's come to you. The fact that he's come to you and he's talking to you is a big... It's a big... Uh, uh, some progress there. That somebody has come and now he has opened the door to you for you to give him da'wah. So you need to somehow, whatever questions he brings... Answer them to a degree We're not saying ignore them And say no leave that I'm going to talk to you about this You discuss You open up the discussion But then you direct it Onto the direction of clarifying Who the prophets and messengers were What their call was What Tawheed is What the purpose of our creation In worshipping Allah alone is The, the fact of la That there is no deity worthy of worship And truth except he That's where you need to direct The conversations with them Whatever questions And far-fetched things they bring to you you can't have discussions on these these outside issues. Whatever they bring, you need to drag them into the core. At the end, even if his particular question hasn't been answered, the fact that he's gone away now having understood this core of Islam, that he would have never understood otherwise. He would have never got that from anywhere else. That is better for him to go still not getting the proper answer he wanted for his question, but to go with this extra bonus he never expected, something that he needs more is better than having answered his question and he still doesn't understand the core of what Islam is. So, with the dawah, you need to focus on these types of things, and those other questions and subsidiaries and what they bring. It's not really, it's not really what you're going to focus on in dawah. Anything else? We'll conclude there. Oh. of the creation is that just mere disobedience or can it amount to shirk uh, we know the narration there is no obedience to anything in creation if it is in disobedience to Allah therefore you have to obey the rulers you have to obey your parents you have to obey those in authority over you unless they command you to do something haram your parents say to you miss your prayer You cannot obey them. You have to go and pray. You cannot say, okay, Allah told us about obedience to parents, so I have to obey and miss the prayer. No, you do not obey in disobedience to Allah. So in that instance where you're doing that, it is a sin. Some scholars say, all sins are a form of shirk. Because now by you doing that, it is as though you are giving precedence to them and their command over the command of Allah. And that is a form of shirk. It's not major shirk, it doesn't exclude you from Islam, etc. Nothing like that. But it could be, and scholars do describe things like that. But the purpose is, it's not really about knowing the terminology. It's about knowing the rules and what to do. So when your parents command you with haram, or something completely impermissible, you cannot obey them in that, but you use your wisdom. Use wisdom in giving them da'wah and explaining to them, if you have to do it secretly, then go do it secretly. But you obey Allah. And then you do what you can with your parents in trying to clarify. We'll conclude there next week, inshallah, I carry on. Then at seven pm, wa wa